Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine, chiropractor, and functional nutrition practitioner, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. I'm excited about today's podcast, but before we jump in, I wanted to remind you to download this month's special gift at drjockersgift.com. From keto meal plans, smoothie recipes, to fasting quick start guides, we have a new complimentary gift every single month. To get your gift, simply visit drjockersgift.com. That's D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S-G-I-F-T.com. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. I am constantly testing new products that are coming out on the market to see what is really getting results and helping people heal faster. And one of my new favorite health boosting tools is C60 Purple Power. C60 is also called Carbon 60. It is a super antioxidant that lifts the oxidative burden at the cellular level. We know that oxidative stress and free radicals literally rust us and age us from the inside. If we're gonna heal and thrive in life, We've got to be able to buffer the oxidative stress and the free radicals. Well, carbon-60 basically acts like a free radical sponge that helps our body to heal itself. C60 helps us fight inflammation, boost immune function, increase our energy and mental clarity. It promotes longevity, supports healthy aging, and supports joint health naturally. C60 Purple Power offers 99.99% pure sublimated carbon 60 that's never been exposed to dangerous solvents and it's delivered in 100% certified organic oils and it's made in the USA. They have got it infused, the carbon 60 antioxidant infused into organic avocado oil, organic extra virgin olive oil, organic MCT coconut oil, and they've got some special flavors, a cinnamon and an orange flavored MCT coconut oil as well. Most users notice an increase in energy and mental clarity after 30 days of daily use. I've been using this for 30 days, and I've seen that my energy improves. My recovery from the work from my workouts improves, and I just feel better. I feel better on a regular basis, and what I do is I take a teaspoon a day, and I typically add it to my smoothie that I have to break my fast, usually in the early afternoon hours, and if for some reason I forget it, then I just take it with dinner. And so again, you can add it to smoothies, different drinks. You can also just take it in a teaspoon form as well. This stuff is cutting edge and it's getting results, guys. And you can try it out now as well at www.c60purplepower.com and use the coupon code Dr. Jockers, all one word, D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S for 15% off your first order, or you can use the link c60purplepower.com forward slash jockers to get that 15% off as well. And if you're interested in learning more about the power of C60, carbon 60, and how it buffers oxidative stress and enhances the healing process, check out C60 Purple Power 
on YouTube at the C60 Purple Power channel. So try that out, guys. Would love to hear your results using C60 Purple Power. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about body fat. We're going to be talking about the fat that's on your body and what it's actually doing to your system, right? Fat is a lot more than just a storage form of energy. So we're gonna be going into that in today's podcast. And we're gonna talk about weight loss, we're gonna talk about cravings, we're gonna talk about hormones, that your fat itself actually produces hormones and it's very responsive to various hormones in your body. And we've got a phenomenal guest, Dr. Sylvia Terra. She wrote the best-selling book, The Secret Life of Fat. And in that book, she reveals the complex biology of fat, how it resists loss, and what to do to remove stubborn body fat. Dr. Tara holds a PhD in biochemistry from the University of California at San Diego and an MBA from Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. She was a consultant with McKinsey and Company and has worked at the world's largest biotechnology companies. She's also been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, New Yorker, the, the Times UK, the Daily Mail, Women's Health, Wired, Scientific American, and The Lancet. So all the media outlets, she's been on these. And she presented her work at the, Smith, the Smithsonian and the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And she's recently featured in a Nova documentary, The Truth About Fat. And you can find her website at thesecretlifeoffat.com. Great website. Definitely check that out. So Dr. Tara, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thank you. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Well, I've been reading through your book, The Secret Life of Fat, really enjoying it, really enjoying how you're tying in a lot of unique individual stories, a lot of unique patients who had very unique metabolic disorders and how that relates to you know the cutting edge science, what we're learning about what body fat is. And so it's a really fascinating book. And what was your inspiration for writing this? Me, my, my troubles with weight loss was the inspiration. So I, I have a body type that just loves to gain weight and it does not lose it very easily. And so I, I've been on so many different diets. You know, you follow these different fads and it was always really hard. And I noticed I, I wasn't losing as quickly as other people did. It was always a struggle. It took a lot longer, it took a lot more effort, and then it didn't last. And I just got very tired of this. And I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to research fat. There's something amiss. Something's wrong with, something's different about my body. Let's put it that way. And, and so I did, I went on a five-year endeavor. I'm a scientist by training. And so I used every tool I had. I picked out every, every research paper on fat. I think I read about a thousand different publications. Hmm. Um, I talked to a lot of researchers around the world about their, their research on fat. And then what I was finding out was just, it was fascinating. It answered my question about why my body was different and, and what you can do about it. And I thought I, I would share it. And so uh, the book's about, you know, all the nuggets I found, just the fascinating things about what fat is, and also the different ways we gain fat. They're not always just overeating. There's all kinds of yeah. ways you can gain weight, and it's about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and you really go into the complex physiology of fat. And so let's start with that. Like, what what is fat? What does the average person think fat is? And what do we know from a scientific perspective about it? Yeah, so I think the average person thinks that fat is just a bunch of blubber, right? It's ugly, <laughs> unsightly, unhealthy, and we should get rid of it at all costs. We should have as little as possible. I mean, that's the real kind of modern thinking about fat. 
You know, what I'm finding out is that that's completely untrue, that fat's actually this critical organ. It's not even just fat, right? It's an organ. It's interacting with other organs in your body. Yeah. And if you don't have sufficient levels, it actually causes a lot of problems for people, right? And, and so really, we have to change the script to not get rid of fat, but keep your fat healthy. Have a, don't be over, I'm not, you know, pushing obesity or overweightness at all. Mm-hmm. Have a healthy level of fat and keep it healthy, right? And respect yeah the way you do your colon or lungs or heart or anything else, right? It's that important. And so that, that was a real game changer. And, um, you know, there's, there's so much more we could talk about. It's an endocrine organ and it releases a lot of different hormones into your body, right? There's brown fat, white fat, there's all kinds of fats, right? It's, it's almost like skin. If you think of your skin, like a piece of skin, it's just a piece of skin tissue, right? But then skin in its totality is an organ. Your fat is the same way. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting viewpoint that your fat itself is an organ system. We think about like the circulatory system or the, um, you know, the musculoskeletal system. Well, fat, I don't know if we've named it yet, but, you know, it's a system. It's an organ system of its own. And what are the different types of fat? Because there's many different types of fat that we can have. Oh, definitely. So there's, yeah, I mean, there's that fat that we want to get rid of is your white fat, right? We think of that, that's subcutaneous white fat. So it's that fat that's right underneath your skin. So the fat in your legs, your buttock, right? Your back, arms, all of that. There's visceral fat, which I'm sure your, your listeners know mm-hmm. about, that fat underneath the yeah. stomach wall that gets really crowded and gets inflamed and sends out inflammatory signals, correlates with heart disease and diabetes. There's brown fat, right? And this is interesting, is that it's around your spine, your clavicle area and your heart. And it's the fat that actually burns calories to keep you warm, has a whole different function. And then there's beige fat, right? That's a newer kind of fat, which is, it actually is capable of turning brown when you exercise, right? So people have a lot of uh, exercise or exposure to coal, they have more levels of brown fat. And it actually can be used, you know, for weight loss. I know um, I told this to my husband when I was doing my research, he's a skinny guy anyway. But uh, once I told him this, he started swimming in our ice cold pool every day. And uh, honestly, he could eat like a horse every day and not gain Mm -hmm. weight after that. So there's a lot of different tricks we have, but those are your different types of fat. Yeah, Yeah, that's really interesting. And beige fat, it has the potential to turn into brown fat, right? Like brown fat is brown because of the amount of mitochondria within it. Is that correct? That, that's right. Yeah. And then beige fat, it's kind of new, it has a you know protein called aricin and, and upon exercise, certain triggers mm. right, will go on that, that turn it brown. So, you know, if you think about it, weight loss begets weight loss because when you exercise, number one, you're burning calories. Number two, you're building tissue, right? Like bone yeah. and muscle that are going to burn more calories. Number three, right? You're now building brown fat, which is going to burn more calories still, right? So when you go down a weight loss path and you decide, you know, to, to eat healthier, more leafy greens and exercise, you're doing so many things to your body that are making it very conducive and synergistic to keep on losing fat. Now, when you have stubborn fat, you need every lever in your toolbox. So you, you need all of those things and you have to be a lot more patient. All those things will pay off. You might have to wait half a year until it starts ticking in. And we can get into stubborn fat, you know, as much as you want. That was my whole impetus for writing the book. Yeah, I would like to get into that. And and visceral fat, again, is the kind of fat we definitely want to limit. Yes. And typically, like, what are some signs that somebody has excess visceral fat? I mean, the easy you know, test you can do is lie on your back, right? And if you yeah. have this, this giant paunch, right? If it doesn't, like, go off to the side when you lie down, if it stays mm. a giant paunch, that is probably underneath your stomach wall. I mean, the real scientific way to test is you, you get a CT scan and it'll tell you where your fat is, right. you know, either underneath or beyond your stomach wall. Um, 
And, and so that, that's the best way, but the easy fast one is to lie on your stomach. And you know, what's interesting is you can have a lot of subcutaneous fat. And I write about sumo wrestlers yeah. too, right? They have a lot of subcutaneous right. fat. Right. It's not in your visceral area. You can actually be healthy and yeah. fat at the same time, right? It's best not to be too fat, but if you're going to have some fat, keep it in the subcutaneous layer. Don't let it get into your visceral area. Yeah, really interesting about sumo wrestlers there, how they actually have more metabolically healthy levels of fat and uh, they're producing different hormones. And let's talk about some of the hormones that fat produces or responds to. Yeah, so I mean, the, the, the most notable one is leptin, right? So when we yeah. talk about fat as an organ, the reason it's an organ is because it's producing hormones that your body depends on. So think of your fat like you would your adrenal gland or your pituitary gland or thyroid gland, those, those endocrine right, glands in your endocrine system that are producing glands that are important for your body. Yeah. Your fat is doing the same thing. And that, that was the most profound finding I think I had in my research. I couldn't yeah. believe that, um, that it was actually important to have fat. One of the most important hormones, most characterized ones is leptin, right? Mm -hmm. So fat releases leptin from fat cells. It goes into your blood. It circulates throughout your body. It binds with cells in your hypothalamus, right? So in a way, it controls your brain. When it binds the cells in your hypothalamus, what it's telling your brain is, hey, we have enough fat, right? We're okay. The environment is good. Everything looks good. You don't have to be ravenously hungry. So even though we get hungry at mealtime, overall, we feel pretty satiated day to day, right? right. Um, that leptin also travels to skeletal muscle, right? Mm. It'll tell your skeletal muscle, hey, we have enough energy. Right? It's almost like an inventory system. We have enough energy, yeah. enough fat, go ahead and burn energy, no problem. Mm. Now, when you start to lose fat, right? say people lose 10% of their body weight or more, your brain detects that difference in leptin. Less fat means a little bit less leptin. There's a, there's a decrease in that time. When it detects that decrease, it goes into overdrive looking for food. Right. Mm -hmm. So something's wrong in the world now. We don't have you know, enough food. There's not enough in the inventory. It's decreasing. It, there must be a famine coming, right? So it starts looking for food. It starts piling up on your plate. And people who've lost 10% of their weight or more, when they do fMRI images of their brain, right, when they look at food, their excitatory centers in their brain light up wildly. They go crazy when they see food, right? So they want food. Your appetite is bigger. You have more food-seeking behavior when you start losing weight. And it's not because you're on the wrong diet, which is what a lot of dieting industry folks will tell you. It's just because of this effect of leptin, right? And so you, you have to find a way to maintain it. Now, on the other hand, your skeletal muscles also sense this decrease in leptin. They, they start using more efficient means of burning energy. We burn 22% fewer calories when we have that decrease of leptin. Mm. So as you lose weight, right, you start to get hungrier. Your brain goes into overdrive mm. for food. Your muscles get more efficient. You burn fewer calories. So you're hungrier and you're burning less calories. So it's not just because you're on, you're not on the right low carb diet, right? It's happening. Yeah. And what's interesting, this happens no matter how you lose your fat. If you exercise your fat off, this happens. If you get liposuction, this happens, right? Mm. So it's, yeah. it's a factor of losing fat, not just, you know, a certain diet that you might be on. Yeah, that's so interesting because leptin is your satiety hormone. So it tells your brain, hey, I'm satiated. I don't need to eat anymore. So as people start, and, and obviously that's that's important for reducing cravings, for reducing overeating. And so as you start to lose weight, you lose that signal. So you tend to have more cravings, tend to be harder to, to stop eating. Um, and you're also not burning fat as well because like you said, it's turning on fat burning in general when you have higher levels of leptin. Yeah, so, so people yo-yo dieted, right? If you've like yeah. 
and gain loss, you have this disadvantage now. So overall, you have to eat 22% fewer calories than someone who's at your that weight to begin with, right? So yeah. the example I give is, you know, if someone's 170 and they've lost 20 pounds to get to 150, when they compare themselves, what they have to eat compared to someone who's at 150 pounds naturally, that person who's lost 20 pounds needs 22% fewer calories than the person who's at 150 naturally. So there's a caloric penalty. And that penalty can last for years, right? It's been studied for six years. It might not go away for everybody. So forevermore, you might need fewer calories than you did right before you gained weight and lost it. And yeah. it's really important to be mindful of because there's a high recidivism rate, right? When you start losing weight, a lot of people, they'll lose weight and then they'll gain even more back than they had before. Mm. It's all due to this, right? Your body has this kind of you know, coordinated effort, if you will, to put that fat back on. It doesn't like the fact that you lost fat. So it makes you hungrier, it makes you burn fewer calories, it wants to get that back, you know, so much so that you gain even more back. And this don't let this depress you. Some people find this very depressing, and I don't want this to be, because this is the real key, if you have stubborn fat to know about, because you will be hungrier, you'll burn less calories. Now that you know that, you know you have to stay on your diet for longer. You know you have to pick a diet that you can stand for years at a time. You know you have to exercise a little bit more. So all of this is possible. You don't have to be heavy just because of this effect of leptin. You just have to be aware of it and be really persistent with your plan and don't come off it. And you can maintain that lower weight. Yeah, it's really good to know. And, and also for lean people too, sometimes lean people are not producing enough leptin and it'll cause them to have a tendency to overeat as well. And they may not gain a lot of weight because of it, but they can cause more digestive issues too. So, uh, you know, just because they're not producing a, a whole lot of leptin to begin with because their body fat is low. Uh, I know I've struggled with that in the past. I have to be careful or I have a tendency to eat too much and not feel as good in my gut, right? So, and, and, and I'm a lean person. So, um, so leptin is key. There's also other hormones like adiponectin. And I know you talked a lot about that with the sumo wrestlers. Yeah, that, that's another fascinating one. So a second hormone that fat, um, you know, makes and releases into your bloodstream is adiponectin. And adiponectin is, is fat's way of controlling itself, if you will. It'll guide fat uh, molecules in your blood to fat deposits, right? So it's actually healthy because saying, you know, fat, come home, get out of the blood and come to fat tissue where you belong, where, you, where you're supposed to get stored. And what that does is it keeps fat out of your heart, keeps it out of your liver, out of places it's not supposed to be. And it mm. puts fat in the fat tissue where it belongs. It sequesters it, right, if you yeah. will. And so what's interesting about this, and this is how it ties to sumo wrestlers, is that when we exercise, we actually release more adiponectin, right? And so adiponectin will put fat where it's supposed to be, like so in, in subcutaneous fat and away from visceral fat, it'll keep it away right. from visceral fat. Sumo wrestlers eat 5,000 calories a day, but they exercise for six hours a day. So their adiponectin levels are fairly high. So all that rippling fat you see on a sumo wrestler is actually subcutaneous fat, even on their mm -hmm. belly, it's underneath their skin. It's not underneath the stomach wall. Yeah. And so they actually manage to stay metabolically healthy. They don't have a lot of heart disease. They don't have like a lot of metabolic syndrome. But when they retire sumo wrestlers and they stop exercising, they get sick very quickly. Mm -hmm. Actually, they start to have these metabolic issues. So exercise, right? You, you can be fit but fat. Obviously, sumo yeah. wrestlers are, right? Best not to be too fat because I mean, I'm sure they have joint issues and other things. But, but if you're going to carry some extra weight, you can do it if you exercise and just make sure it stays away from your visceral area and your subcutaneous layer instead. 
Yeah, you see that with like a lot of uh you know, NFL players that are offensive linemen and stuff like that. Like they're really big and they're doing a lot to maintain their, you know, 300 pound weight. Cause they need that for their, their position. But when they stop playing, they continue to eat that way. And you know, they're not doing the training and they get very metabolically unhealthy. So it all switches to visceral fat. And that's because of the reduction there in uh, that adiponectin. And um, so the best ways to stimulate adiponectin production exercise now, does, does um, cold exposure, does that help stimulate adiponectin as well? Not that I know of. Cold exposure is really more for, um, you know, for brown fat, for producing brown fat, yeah. for activating your brown fat. Adiponectin is, is much more about exercise, right? And so okay. squats, like heavy exercise squats, you know, can work for that um, kind of weight. Yeah, lift. squats uh, are great. A lot of running, right? So it, it's it's a lot to stimulate your adiponectin. It's not as, as easy as just like 20 minutes a day. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's about 20 miles of jogging per week. That's what's been documented to work, you know, to promote adiponectin mm -hmm. levels. So if you think about it, it's maybe three miles a day. Um, high intensity interval training three times a week also yeah. has been correlated with lower visceral fat, mm. right? There's things you can do, but but you have to, you know, take it seriously, be regular. And it's a little bit more than gardening or just a quick walk in the park. You know, it's, it's actual exercise that will promote adiponectin levels. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, this is another hormone, ghrelin, that um, we don't produce from our body fat. We produce it in our stomach, but it's our hunger hormone. And in your book, it was interesting because you talked about how women will produce 33% more ghrelin after exercise than men will. Yeah, I have a whole chapter on women versus men. So yeah. as I I write about, you know, the secrets of fat, what you need to know about fat as an organ, but also all these other ways we get fat that we might not be aware of, right? So I write about the genetic component for how genetics can lead to fatness, yep. even like bacteria and viruses, yep. and then age, right? As, as we stop, start losing our fat-busting hormones like testosterone and estrogen, but then also gender, like, like women are predisposed, right, to have more fat than, than men. And this starts even from birth, they study thousands of girl babies. They're fatter even at birth and probably even before they're born, right? And so, so women's bodies are designed very differently. So, so women will reach for fat more when we're exercising or fasting, right? Our bodies will want to utilize fat. Men will use glycogen more. Mm -hmm. Women will partition more nutrients into fat. So we store fat at two to three times the rate that men do, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so when we lose some, some calories, our bodies want to get that fat right back. It doesn't like yeah. That we've lost that. So when we exercise a lot, right? The other thing they found is that women release more ghrelin, right? 33% yeah. more ghrelin than a man. So, so we tend to overcompensate after exercise, mm -hmm. right? It's another one of nature's tool, uh, like nature wants women to have more fat. It's another tool that, that, that nature has, right? To make sure women are going to put that fat back on. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, th the key for women is if you do exercise, you feel really hungry, almost ratchet down your exercise, right? So you're not really stimulating a huge hunger response because it does lead a lot of times to overcompensation where you're just ravenously hungry and you want to eat. And they, they study women, they actually will eat more than men after they exercise, right? There's a higher compensation factor they go through. So you can ratchet it down, especially when you're just starting, like your exercise regime, just, just ramp up slowly. The other thing is, you know, if you're going to be really hungry, just make sure you got a lot of lettuce, leafy greens around, right? Things that are not going to pack on a ton of calories. Yeah. And then try to distract, right? Eat a little bit of something and, and do something else. Go shopping, watch watch a show, call a friend, do something because it will pass after a while. 
but the immediate effect after exercise is to want to disgorge yourself for, for women in particular. Yeah, for sure. You know, I talk a lot about ghrelin in my books as well. And ghrelin is very much a conditioned response, meaning if we're used to eating at a certain period of time, we're going to have higher levels of ghrelin at that time. And also it, it's very responsive to the distension of the stomach, meaning if there's nothing in the stomach, you're going to have more ghrelin. If you have more in the stomach, ghrelin is going to release. So even just drinking water or drinking beverages can help. Like you were talking about eating a salad, you know, something like that. Just getting something in there will help to reduce your ghrelin. Yeah, yeah no, I love leafy greens. And there's stretch receptors in your stomach too. Yes, right? like the, that's right. Touch, it tells you you're full. So the more you can like fill it with things that are, aren't like energy dense, packed with calories, the better off you're going to be. And then, you know, also when you eat these leafy greens, you tilt your microbiome and we can get into that as well, but you start changing your microbiome yeah. to be one that, that absorbs fewer calories, right? So you're getting less calories and changing your body to absorb less calories as well. Yeah. So Keena, I want to come back to that. First, I want to talk about insulin. You didn't talk a, a tremendous about, about insulin in the book. And I know there's a lot of other content out about insulin, but insulin plays a huge role when it comes to weight gain and weight loss resistance. We know insulin is not produced by fat, but uh, we call it the fat storage hormone. Um, and so can you talk about where insulin falls with all of this? Yeah, I mean, insulin, I didn't write about it because it's, it's so written about everywhere else. Yeah. I almost thought of it as an obvious that, yes, you know, of course, when we, we especially glucose, when we have, you know, glucose that stimulates insulin, mm -hmm. right? And then insulin, I mean, really, it's trying to help your body. If you think about it, it's, it's yeah. the way for your body to say, okay, this person has eaten. There's a lot of things floating in the blood. We have to quickly get this stuff out of the blood yeah. so it's not depositing in the wrong area. And so it helps, you know, fat cells, other cells also internalize nutrients out of your blood and absorb it. Right. So insulin is actually a good thing. Oh, yeah. Critical. <laughs> the problem is, you know, when you when you're constantly evoking insulin, yeah. it's constantly in your system, you get insulin resistant. Your body is like a loudness level. Like, you know, if you listen to a lot of loud music, you, it actually doesn't sound loud after a while. Right. Mm. And so thing for insulin, your body stops responding so much because it's always around. Right. Yeah. And so this is where I, I, you know, intermittent fasting can be very useful mm. where you just have a period where you're not eating, right. Sensitize your cells again to knowing what it's like to be quiet. Right. So they yes. can tell the difference between when there's noise and not noise and they're just not always turned on. Right. Um, but, but otherwise, I mean, insulin, <laughs> it's important. In fact, you know, I, I've kind of tricked my body at times. I use insulin, you know, to get that feeling of satiety because it also, yeah. you know, transmits to your hypothalamus as well. And, and it also strikes your satiety centers. So I know people who eat very healthy and they're thin, they're in great shape. They'll, they'll actually have a little bit of a sweet thing like after they eat, because it's a trigger that I've eaten yeah. and I don't eat anything more. And I, I find when I'm doing intermittent fasting, sometimes like a little bit of, of carb or a little bit of sugar actually helps me not eat for six hours afterward because I've, I've triggered mm -hmm. that satiety center. So, so be clever with how you use insulin. It's not necessarily all bad. Right. Um, you just can't stimulate it always. You have to be very strategic in how you use it. Yeah, so important. I always say insulin is really a life-saving hormone because, yeah. you know, if your blood sugar is too high, you create these advanced glycation end products, AGEs, these sticky proteins that just are like shrapnel going through your bloodstream, destroy your yeah. bloodstream, your nerves, your kidneys. So insulin is really helping protect against that. And like you said, it's really like a bus carrying, I mean, it grabs the sugar, you know, helps get the sugar into the cells where it can be used for energy. And it also brings magnesium and all your key minerals into the cells, all the things you need to produce energy you need insulin for. So you don't want it too high, which is, you know, tip, which is 
The biggest problem we have in our society is too much insulin because of all the frequent eating, but you also don't want it too low, right? And I'm a huge advocate of intermittent and extended fasting and different strategies like that. But, you know, if you're doing too much of that, you can have too low of insulin. And I've seen that before as well. And that can be a big problem, especially for women um, because we need insulin to help activate thyroid hormone, to, to activate T4 to T3, to, to help uh, reduce the amount of sex hormone binding globulins. We get active estrogen, progesterone. So yeah, we need to have you know certain nutrition strategies to help prime our insulin levels. So that way we're getting that nutrient delivery, we're producing the sex hormones that we need and the thyroid hormone really for optimal, for, for hormone optimization in general. So it's a, it's a big, big factor. Yeah. So, Glad to hear that. I, I find that you just have to be smarter about losing weight than yeah. these diets will tell you. And the dieting industry tends to go like a pendulum swing. It'll go from one extreme, right? Like no yeah. carb at all. Then you get like these, well, it used to be all carbs, right? Remember like back in the 70s? Yeah, oh, yeah of course. And now it's it's all meat, no carbs. Now it's lots of fat and, and less less protein and carbs. It just, it swings wildly. Yeah. And none of those is really the full solution. You have right. to be a little bit smarter to understand your body. Like I love what you just said, how insulin's actually important, right? So it's yeah. you can't have none. And the dieting industry tends to drive you to all or none, right? Right. Yeah. Be smart about what your body's doing, how you need it. I know I've been lambasted at times for saying that, you know, I'll have a little bit of a sweet thing, you know, after I eat because I actually use it very strategically. Yeah. But there's, there's such dogma out there that you can't have any, right? Right. And, and right. Whenever you deplete anything fully, like your fat, or you deplete your insulin, or anything else, it causes problems. We have to live in a healthy balance. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. I mean, you know, like like I'm a huge advocate of the keto diet and intermittent fasting. But if you're very, if you're severely insulin resistant, you know, that's going to really help you repair your metabolism. But there's going to get to a certain point where you know, you're going to drive that insulin down too much. And that's where we need to add in what we call feast famine cycling, or, you know, you might have a higher carb day to trigger more insulin, um, you know, so you can get the activation of your thyroid hormone, the activation of, you know, your, your estrogen, progesterone, more effectively testosterone for men, you know, so, so there's certain nutritional strategies and it's, you know, it's an ancestral perspective. It's kind of that diet variation. Our ancestors weren't trying to avoid carbs, <laughs> you know, or avoid fat when they had food, whatever food they found, they ate until they were satiated. And then they stopped eating. And sometimes they, did, they didn't have pantries and refrigerators. So sometimes they would go good periods of time without food. But when food was available, they feasted. When food wasn't available, they you know ate whatever they could. But uh, oftentimes they were under eating. And so um, you know, it's kind of like that in our society today, trying to kind of create a plan that you know, can implement some of these gaps you know, without food. But then when, when food, you know, then, then having a periods of time where food is in abundance and we're eating nutrient dense foods to our satiation point. So, um, yeah. super important. But yeah, let's talk about some of the factors behind weight gain and weight loss. You know, you mentioned the microbiome and how important that is. And you talked a lot about that in your book as well. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting. So we like to think of ourselves as like, we're totally in control and we're all human and, you know, but in truth, there's a lot of things that live on us, right? In fact, it's yeah. a good percentage of our cells are actually not our own. They're, they're bacterial cells, right? Fungal cells, all kinds of other microorganisms that live on us that constitute what we are. So depending on the, the bacteria you have in your gut, you're digesting differently. You're extracting different levels of calories compared to someone else. Mm -hmm. There are certain types of bacteria and the formicutes, you know, phyla that they actually are very good at extracting calories out of food, right? So depending on your distribution of bacteria, you could be getting more calories out of your food or less. 
So yeah. that, you know, bowl of Cheerios, it says 100 calories on the box. It could be 120, depending on what you have in your gut for, for bacteria, or it can be 80, depending on what you have. Mm. And what they find is that people who have a high diversity of uh, fruits and vegetables, that the raw fruits and vegetables, they tend to have a very diverse microbiome as well. Yeah. Right? And that diversity in your microbiome actually helps tilt it towards a distribution that's associated with a lean body type, right? So it has right. actually absorbing fewer calories out of your food, right? And then people who eat a lot of fats and processed foods and flours, they are tilted towards a microbiome that's very efficient at pulling calories out of food, mm. right? So again, this is where I say fat loss, you get fat loss because right. if you're eating a lot of leafy greens and fruits and vegetables, number one, you're getting fewer calories, right? You're not packeting in and processed food. You know, secondly, a lot of that's going out as waste because it's very fibrous. Your body's not digesting it. So a lot's going out as waste. You're stretching your stretch receptors in your gut so you feel nice and full. You're not snacking a ton. And then also you're tilting your microbiome to be one that's associated with less calorie absorption, right? So it has like multiple benefits. Weight loss, if you exercise, we talked about that path of weight loss because weight loss, but also eating right, weight loss begets weight loss. So you'd be surprised if you eat like leafy greens, you do intermittent fasting, you add exercise. It, that sounds like three things. Really, you're doing like a thousand things in your body that's helping your body now start to lose weight. Yeah. It's not as what you're, what you're eating and what you're doing. Hey, I just want to take a quick moment and tell you about my new book, The Fasting Transformation. I am so excited about this book. It is a functional guide to help you burn fat, heal your body, and transform your life with intermittent and extended fasting. Fasting is the most ancient form of natural medicine. And in this book, I take you on a journey to help you understand how fasting improves your blood sugar and your insulin sensitivity, how it shuts down inflammation in your body, optimizes your hormones, turns on fat burning, and helps activate stem cells and deep cellular healing. Guys, you're gonna learn so much from this book. You can check it out, The Fasting Transformation on Amazon or on our webpage, drjockers.net forward slash fasting transformation. So check that out now. You guys are gonna love the book. And if you have a chance, leave a review on Amazon. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah, so all microbiome researchers, one of the big things they agree on is the diversity, meaning the amount of different types of species of bacteria that you have, the, the healthier you're gonna be metabolically and really just uh, with, with your inflammatory levels in general. And they found that eating a, a very diverse, because certain types of foods have certain types of prebiotics that feed certain types of bacteria. So having diversity and rotating in lots of different foods rather than just only eating, you know, the same seven foods um, yeah. is a key factor with that. And then, you know, a lot of these plant foods, like you talked about, you know, it's also interesting is intermittent fasting has also been shown to be a great stimulator of diversity in the, in your microbiome as well, which is interesting because you're not actually eating, but your mucus loving bacteria, like your acromansia and your uh, fecal bacteria and presidiae or different keystone bacteria actually really love that environment. Um, it's almost like I, I tell people it's like pruning hedges. You know, it's like, uh, like out here, I've got a blueberry tree or I've got a blueberry bush and an apple tree. But what happens is if we don't prune back the apple tree, it, there's too much shade. So the blueberry bush doesn't grow. We have to prune it back every year or we don't get blueberries. 
right? That's kind of what intermittent fasting does. It helps prune back some of the primary feeders in the gut that allow those secondary feeders to thrive, right? But then of course the apple tree needs its sun. It needs, you know, all of those types of things as well. That's all your prebiotics. So it can thrive as well. So it's really interesting what's happening in your microbiome. An excellent analogy. <laughs> apple tree, blueberry bushes. It's like a flora, right? It's a forest in yeah. your gut. And you're trying to, you know, have the right kind of distribution of everything and the right populations of everything. And it matters a lot. So no, that's yeah. excellent. Get it face. Yeah, I was also interested. You talked about Firmicutes and Bacterioides, which um, you know, are the different kind of phyla of bacteria that have a role in breaking down and, and how much calories are produced from food. Right? Yeah. Can you go into that in a little bit more detail. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so much chemistry in there, but basically, like Firmicutes, it's just associated with a really good extraction, right? It produces yeah. more sugars as well as a byproduct of some of that extraction, right? right? So you're getting more fat that way. Whereas, you know, bacteroidetes is less so, right? It's, it's associated with a higher distribution of it is associated with eating more of that diverse fruits and vegetables and lets a lot more pass, right? It's not absorbing everything. It's letting it pass as waste, right? Yep. And there's, there's a lot of different chemical pathways to get into a butyrate and all kinds of different sugars and stuff that, get, that come out of that process, right? That either help you gain or, or like, you know, prevent that gain. And so um, I didn't go into all that detail. Some of it's very heavy duty. Yes. <laughs> Maybe you go into that in some of your books. It's, I love that in mind. You know, it's interesting. It's worth getting the book just to read yeah. through that if you're like a health nerd like me. So you'll, you, you guys will enjoy that. Now, you also talked about uh, genetics and genetic factors as well as viruses, right? And let's talk about that. Oh, gosh. Viruses always scares the heck out of everybody. I've always <laughs> wanted to not talk about it because I'm scaring people. But no, there, there are viruses that are associated with fatness, right? And it's not too shocking. Like in the animal world and agriculture, they've known about this for a long time that there's, you know, like Rouse associated uh, viruses associated with fatness in chickens, canine distemper viruses associated with fat associated with fatness in mice, right? And so like it, it's been known. It's not it's not a mystery there. But but what wasn't so known is that this actually has a factor. It's a factor in humans as well. So there's a virus called AD36 that's been discovered and. People who have 8036, they have a higher propensity to, for fatness, right? They tend to be about 30% heavier. They have, you know, a, a higher fold, you know, uh, probability of being obese even compared to people who have not been exposed to this virus. And the way this virus works, it kind of works like insulin, right? So it's an adenovirus, it resides in your cells, and it, it facilitates the absorption of glucose from your system, right? So it's bringing in more glucose. It's also creating more fat molecules, which then is creating more fat cells, right? So people who have it, they tend to, again, absorb more from their, their bloodstream, right? Internalized glucose, and then have more fatness as well. In fact, it's being looked at now as like a, an alternative to insulin for diabetics because of what it does, right? So it works. It was interesting because I believe the, the, the individual that you talked about that had this virus, he had low triglycerides. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, his, like normally you think about high triglycerides, metabolic disease. So he was overweight, but like his lipid panel, his triglycerides were low and balanced without medications. Yeah, yeah. So this is guy. Let's talk about him for a second. I write about this patient. And, and throughout the book, I try to write um, through stories. So it's not just a big scientific right. you know, textbook, but through stories of doctors and patients to make it all very, very relatable. But um, his name is Randy. And like he had struggled with weight for his whole life. Right. Yeah. And, and he couldn't understand why. Like He, he felt like he would die. He'd lose a little bit of weight, but then it would all come back. And he finally got really heavy, landed in the hospital. And, and his doctors at the hospital said, why don't you go over to the University of Wisconsin? They have a weight program there. You know, maybe they can help you. And he goes there. And that's when he meets up with the scientist who studies 8036. 
they, they test him for the virus and they find out he's positive for it. Right. And, and that's all this flashes before his eyes. He's like, oh, aha, finally, you know, I have the answer because he always felt like he was eating less. He was trying more, but he just kept gaining weight. Yeah. And, you know, sure enough, he has a good way of putting it. He says, I'm not part of the eating world. There's like the eating world, people who can eat, you know, and be fine. And then I'm, I'm not part of that. Like he has to be very careful. He goes on picnics with his family. He's bringing his boiled eggs and salad. He will not go off his diet. So, so even though it was, it could have been like very devastating to hear you have this diagnosis, like, oh my God, I have this virus and I'm going to be fat my whole life. You can also see it as empowering, like knowledge is power, right? So now that I know this, what do I have to do? And this was the answer to him, uh, for him. And so what he started doing was just being extremely diligent about what he ate. He exercises a lot. He's actually very thin now. He's like six wow. foot something. He's 130 pounds. He runs every day. But this is the whole thrust of my book, right? And my course that I have now too, which is you have to understand your body, right? You are not like your neighbor or your, or your brother or sister or anyone else. You have your own kind of fat blueprint, if you will, things about you, your genetics, your age, your history of dieting, gender, right? And, and bacteria and viruses, right? And so you have to find what works for you. And this is what helped me, like why it came together for me, because this was a big diagnosis for me, all this research. Like I started to realize why my genetics are not in my favor. My gender, right, is not going to help me. I'm, I'm middle-aged now. That's not going to help me, right? And you just have to up the ante. You just have to take your diet more seriously, be more diligent, and be on it for longer, probably forever, honestly. But you can maintain, right? And so that, that's the big yeah. upside I want everyone to walk away with. Yeah, season. and I thought it was interesting because like, you know, in my head, I'm trying to think, okay, how do you kind of tell if somebody might have this virus without actually getting tested for it? And there were some interesting hallmarks with Randy. And, you know, I, obviously I don't know his whole history because you didn't go into everything in the book, but it didn't seem like he struggled a lot with cravings. Like it wasn't like he was driven by cravings like a lot of other people that have issues. His lab work seemed like it was good, you know, triglycerides, things like that. Um, he was adopting healthy behaviors. That wasn't a big factor, but he still had this weight gain that he just struggled with and he was trying to eat healthy foods but in kind of normal ratios eating like a normal calorie load like other people and yet he couldn't get the weight off right in fact he was actually gaining weight he was getting more and more he was getting larger okay. and so i'm like okay in my head it's like that could be a clue in that you may possibly have this virus if you're somebody out there that you get your lab work done insulin looks good, hemoglobin A1C, triglycerides look good, you're following healthy habits, not like you're struggling with cravings, you're you know, sleeping at night, keeping your stress under control, and yet the weight just isn't coming off. Possibly this virus could be a factor here. Yeah, virus could be a factor, right? Um, age could be a factor, you dropped all your fat True. Hormones, right? And, and even genetics, right? I mean, there's a lot of genetics too. Like there, there's the IRS one, a gene that I, I write about, depending on what variant you have, it also works like insulin, right? A certain variant of this IRS one gene where it helps, you know, people absorb fat out of their blood and store it very quickly away, mm -hmm. right? So the way you're healthier, right? Yeah. But, but you're a little bit fatter, right? And so you're just right. storing fat away, kind of like women do. Women store fat at two to three times the rate that men do. It's genetic, right? It's just what yeah. we do. And so there's all kinds of reasons and people like, you know, they want to know how to get this test. So I need a genetic test. So I need an 8036 test. And like you could, you could go get those tests. It doesn't really change what you have to do. Right, if you're true. having stubborn fat, right? Like if you feel like you're dieting and it's not coming off, you could have any one of those things 
the, what you have to do is the same no matter what. So you might as well just do them, right? Yeah. It really gets to being smart about weight loss. It's a lot more than calorie in, calorie out. It's a lot more of just getting on the paleo or the whatever diet that, that you like, right? You have to be smart about your hormones. You have to be smart about leptin levels, how your body is responding to leptin. You have to be smart, you know, also just about adiponectin, other things, all these things you can yeah. use in your favor, right? There's a lot of tools in the toolkit. Stimulating brown fat with cold exposure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just, just want to use all the tools in the toolbox and you don't know what they are unless you like read enough about it. And yeah. 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 You know, I'm interested with, with the virus and I, I doubt that there's any, been any studies on this, but I'm interested to see how vitamin D deficiency or the role of vitamin D and how that impacts the expression of this virus. Also zinc, you know, we know zinc helps stop viral replication. And yeah. so, but it's more effective against certain viruses than others. So I'm interested to see because we have such a huge preponderance of zinc deficiency and vitamin D deficiency, how that would impact somebody that actually had that virus. That's just something that that I'm curious about. I don't know if you've seen anything about that. I doubt it's out there at this no, point. No, I haven't seen that research at all. I don't know if they've gotten there yet. You know, no, it's interesting thing about fat too is like so much of this research it's really new right because like right. fat wasn't obesity was an area that that was invested in right it just thought well just people have to eat less that's all and it really started to be like in the 80s where the obesity epidemic started to become an issue right it started to be yeah. noticeable that everyone's gaining weight nih right national science foundation they started putting they started putting more money into fat research. And that's when these researchers started getting funding for like looking at fat and what is fat and how do we control it? Yeah. So we're really just at the beginning of understanding what fat exactly is. And I suspect like in, in five more years, I could rewrite that book and have a whole bunch of yeah. different details because- uh, well, we'll, ha we'll have to bring you on the podcast every year and see what, what what's new out there, what, you're, what you've learned since, uh, since reading this book or writing this book. Uh, because my my audience, I know for sure, is going to be very interested in learning this. So just a really profound topic, very, very fascinating topic. And guys, The Secret Life of Fat, if you're watching on video, you can see I've got the book right here. It's it's really a, it's, it's really a short book, but it's, it's a heavy read, but it's also got a lot of stories in there, just like Randy you were talking about. Very unique stories of individuals that have dealt with, like, rare but unique and unique metabolic conditions and then she relays that back to the science and the scientists and goes through like the stories about the scientists and how they discovered leptin and adiponectin and you know different factors like this so you really get a, a great history of fat how we've learned about it as you know um you know an endocrine organ and all the different components that are playing a role in it so it's really really good stuff now, what are some of your top strategies for somebody that's dealing with stubborn weight loss? And I know you have a whole program on this and everything, but what are some, some takeaways that somebody can walk away from this with? Yeah, so I mean, what you have to do if you have stubborn fat, you know if you have stubborn fat because you're frustrated as heck, right? And so, no. so there's a couple levers you can pull on. And, and some of the easiest ones are, um, some of them are obvious. Number one, get all your sugars out, right? Like you don't even know what's in your food, right? So like sometimes I think I'm eating healthy. I'll go out for lunch and have a chicken sandwich from some restaurant. I gain a pound because that's not just a chicken sandwich. It's full of oils and flours and right. sugars and things in there that I'm not even thinking are in there. Cook your own food as much as you can. Eat really clean. That doesn't mean no sauce. It just means whatever sauce you're making, get rid of sugars and fillers in it, right? Do something interesting with it. Um, the second one is watch your eating window, right? So, so, you know, add more leafy greens, add healthy foods, cook your own food, but do it in a window that's limited. 
intermittent fasting, I find to be one of the biggest kind of amplifiers for, for weight loss, because mm. what you're doing is expanding, especially if you can expand it overnight, it's best. Our yeah. growth hormone levels, growth hormone is a great fat buster. It peaks yeah, sure. at night, right? And, and when you eat, you actually mitigate the effect of growth hormone. So the more you don't eat around your sleeping interval, the more it's effective. Not to mention you're also releasing, releasing glucagon, right? Which is also a fat burner when you're, when you're doing that fast. That's a really good one. Also, more sleep is, expands leptin levels, right? So you're more satiated. So you're burning more fat, but you're more satiated as well. So, so make sure to sleep well and expand that eating window. Yeah, I think I most people that. have experienced that where they sleep poorly and then they have a lot more cravings the next day. And that's because of its impact on leptin. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and you want more carb even. It's, it's like the type of food you want when you're yeah, sleeping. Right. True. Very different also. Yeah, and the other one that I, I really employed and, and I like is high uh, high intensity interval training, right? Hit yeah. mm-hmm. that in your fasted state. Wow, I found it to be like a bullet that moves your weight loss. Like I'll be stuck and stuck and stuck, and then I'll do that, and it'll it'll finally start moving again. Yeah, um, it's hard though because of the ghrelin thing, right? Especially for women, <laughs> I find myself to be starving after I do that. And and the yeah. trick I learned is that I'll do it sometimes at night, like an hour before I go to bed, so I can just go to bed and not have to feel hungry. Right. I, I then increase my leptin level, my growth hormone goes to work. I'm more sa- I'm satiated the next day, right? Because I've had a good sleep. And so it's just a trick I've learned. If I know if I exercise in the morning, I'm hungry all day and it's really hard. Mm. <laughs> I've switched it tonight. That's tricks like that you, you can try to use, right? Yep. So um, you know, for people who really have a tough time, there's other things too. Like I just had a woman write me and uh wow, she's really, she's 60 years old, really stuck fat, you know? And so, so you have to think more that there's fasting, there's exercise. You know, if you're really stuck, there's medical weight loss too. And I write a little bit about this. You have to be careful, right? There's always a risk benefit to it, but you know, hormone replacement can sometimes be a benefit to people, but I, I only recommend that if you're really stuck and you're, you're older, you know, just to get it moving. And, and once you get to that target weight, it's a little easier to maintain. You don't need it forever. Yeah, for sure. All really great information. And yeah, with high intensity exercise, what I like to do is I like to do it kind of at the peak of my fast, which most days, you know, I break my fast usually around one o'clock. Um, so I, I work out like today, I worked out at around 12 o'clock. That's typically when I do it. And then I'll, I'll, I'll break the fast shortly after, cause I get hungry after, wow. after I finish working out, but I can fast through the morning really easily. Um, you know, n- no problem with that. And then one day a week, what I like to do is a 24 hour fast where I go from lunch to lunch and you were talking about growth hormones. So I'll have like a really good size lunch somewhere between like 12 and two. Um, usually it's Wednesday. I eat Wednesday and then I fast through dinner and I, my heart rate variability, which I measure on my aura ring is always at its best. It's always at its highest that night while I'm sleeping. Cause I'm releasing even more growth hormone cause I'm in a fasted state. Yeah. And then I fast through the morning and then I work out and then I, um, you know, and then I have lunch on Thursday and then I'll typically kind of feast. I'll have like, like a protein shake, which isn't like, I don't have a huge meal right when I break my, my fast, but then like two or three hours later, I'll have another small meal and then I'll have like a good dinner, like two or three hours after that on Thursday. Cause I got to, cause I'm, I'm lean. So I got to replenish the calories. I do notice that if I don't get enough calories in on Thursday, then I'm like, then my leptin is out of control. I'm like, I'm like hungry all day, Friday and Saturday. 
and I, I don't maintain my muscle mass as well. So, um, so I noticed, so it's, you know, it's just really understanding your body and that's really what this is all about, but you know, great tips with the high intensity interval training and Wednesdays, when I do that long fast, I don't do any intense exercise because that drives up my metabolism. So I'll walk or something like that, but that allows me to do a calorie deficit there without having a lot of hunger. And therefore, I'm able to easily fast, get my best heart rate variability score, huge release of growth hormone. I feel like re completely replenished on Thursday. Like I feel amazing. Um, you know, I've got the ketones elevated because of the fast and lots of autophagy, cellular breakdown that's going on, you know, and then I finish it with a workout and I'm actually feel amazing, even though I'm, you know, 23, 24 hours fasted a lot of times. I feel amazing and super strong because my growth hormone is is peaked when I'm doing that workout. But then I need to eat, you know, shortly after, and then I need to, in a sense, take in a little extra calories to keep my leptin levels balanced there. So that's just me. But um, how about you? What is what is kind of a typical like a daily schedule? Um, you know, let's say you can control your time. What what's a, a good daily schedule that you found that works well for you? Yeah, so first of all, it's great that you have figured out yourself like that to that level of detail. And so the way I figured out what works for me is I started logging everything. I have this giant spreadsheet and I log like what I ate, the calorie content of it, the time I ate it, did I have any medication or anything that day, what time did I exercise, how much, what type, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I started learning from this log what was working and what wasn't. Right. So I started out eating like, you know, all day, three meals a day. I just watched my calories and like slowly and slowly, I wasn't losing a thing. So like, you know, three weeks went by, nothing moved. I'm like, all right, that's not working. So I started ratcheting back the times and I started noticing that, okay, I only seem to lose weight if I stop eating around three o'clock. Right. Mm. If I eat at five o'clock, I won't lose any weight. And so I'd put myself every day and, and, and log everything. I would just start to notice what was working and what wasn't. And this is actually really important to do because there's research now coming out showing that our bodies don't respond to food the same way. So someone can have a muffin and not have any glucose increase at all in their blood. Other person just has a bite of a muffin, they have a huge glucose spike. Right. right. Different reaction. So things that you know, there's be things that you can eat that you can get away with and someone can't and vice versa. And I started noticing weird stuff like this, things that were written about at length that were supposed to make you gain weight and you're supposed to stay away from at all costs had no effect on me, right? Like a banana is supposed to be a terrible thing. I can eat bananas till the monkeys come home, right? Nothing happens to me. I'm perfectly fine. I can't even have a bite of a cookie without gaining some weight. Uh, yep. Right? Yep. So I started seeing like patterns and what was happening when I lost weight, when I didn't. So net net, what works for me is um, I do, I, I eat a small breakfast, um, probably around nine o'clock, right? Not more than a couple hundred calories. Yeah. And I'm not too fussy about it. It can be English muffin, it can be, you know, an egg, whatever. My, my lunch is a leafy green salad, typically, right? With some protein and some fat, some cheese or something, olives or something on it. But it has a bunch of vegetables, all raw, everything raw. And then also, um, if I only have a salad and I try to go on to a fast after that, I'm hungry all the time. I'm constantly looking for food. Mm. Where I've learned is I have to have a little bit of carb with it. So I'll have some whole wheat toast, sometimes mm -hmm. jelly on a little bit of sugar. And again, it's my trick to provoke enough insulin to get satiety going. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not rummaging and looking for food constantly after that. Right. And I'll have a snack, something small at around three o'clock, maybe just, you know, a couple hundred calories more at that point. Yeah, try my very absolute best to not eat till the next morning. And yeah. you know, you have to forgive yourself. That's hard socially, that's hard socially. It's very, very, it is. And I can't do it all the time. I mean, there's times right. I go out to dinner, so I do this on a lot of days, not all of them. 
So another thing, if, if this doesn't work for you, and I talk about this, like you have to find out that works for you psychologically, because you'll have to be on this a long time if you have stubborn fat. Yeah. So if you need dinners, fine. Then, then, then just make your fast longer in the morning, right? right. Find, find the, the window that works for you. Make your diet work for you. It's so important. Because with leptin, with that caloric penalty, this might take a very long time. It might be your permanent lifestyle. Yeah, but you're getting like, you're getting your calories in like a six to seven hour eating window. So you've got a really solid fast after that to boost that growth hormone. Yeah. And it's hard, right? And there, there's a mental component too, yeah. right? There's all kinds of tricks. Cause like I get hungry at eight o'clock, no doubt I'm dying to eat sometimes. Right. So you have to just, you get more used to it. Your body doesn't beg for food as much after a while and you have to have enough distraction. There has to be other things you do. Like there's a show you like, or there's work or you go for a walk, use yeah. whatever you need. Right. And I have to say, once I got to a way I wanted, I don't do this all the time. Like I go off here and there and you can, cause I actually reached a new set point where I could be a little bit loose. Right. And I wasn't gaining weight anymore. So like once, once you go through this, right, be really disciplined and then keep a log again, cause you don't want the weight gain to start. Right. So you'll, yeah. you'll learn like how much you can go on or off and maintain your weight without having any kind of permanent effect. Right. And that's when I also learned that intermittent, um, so sorry, hit the high intensity interval training at night. If I was plateauing, that would be the thing that, that would get it moving again. So Correct. You'll, you'll learn about yourself if you log everything. Yeah, so good. So, so you you feel like your body responds really well to bananas. I do great with berries. That's actually like <laughs> me. That's what I love, and that's that's what I'm usually doing, uh, especially on workout days. Adding in berries. So yeah. usually like a frozen bear organic berry mix that I'll throw in smoothies and different things like that, and uh, so good. Yeah, no, my example there was just that there's things that you're not supposed to be able yeah. to eat and eat, but like it's sure, a yeah. body and like even chocolate, I can have chocolate yep. and not gain weight, but if I have a chocolate cookie, I'll gain weight. All so right, yeah. flour is a thing for me that makes everything weight. not necessarily sugar, but flour. So it's just tricks. You use your tricks and, you know, of course you shouldn't have too much sugar anyway. And I don't, I'm just saying that, you know, you'll learn tricks about your own body if you log everything. Have you experimented with a continuous blood glucose monitor? Be interesting. I haven't, but it'll be a new company. Yeah, there's a there's a new company out there um, level that uh, basically continuous blood glucose monitor. They get you one, and basically stick it on the back of your arm, right? And you can walk around for two weeks with that, and you can constantly just take your your iPhone and you know basically your app, and you're just uh, scanning it, and you can actually see what your blood sugar is like. And I noticed that I was very very responsive to too much caffeine. So I need small doses of caffeine, like no more than 50 milligrams at a time, which the average cup of coffee is like 100 to 200 milligrams, you know? So it's a smaller dose and I respond great. I feel really good. If I have too much caffeine, my blood sugar's high all day long. Yeah. So uh, like if I have 100 milligrams of caffeine, like a normal cup of coffee at one sitting, my blood sugar's way off, like all day. It's interesting. Yeah. That's, that's even more fascinating than a food log. Yes, yes. <laughs> you get more information out of that. I would look into that. Continuous blood glucose monitor. Um, you can get a doctor to prescribe you one, and it'd be great for your research, you know, for your next book and everything, looking at oh, that. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can almost guess what it is for my food log that's that's making those spikes or not. Yeah, exactly. Well, Combining that with a food log would really give you a lot of great insight. Yeah. Well, Dr. Terry, this has been a phenomenal interview. I mean, we could probably talk a whole nother hour about this topic, but guys, definitely pick up the book, The Secret Life of Fat. Check that out. You also have an online program too that people can find. It's the secret, thesecretlifeoffat.com. Is that correct? Where they can yeah. find it? Tell us yeah. a little bit more about that. 
Sure. So if you go to my website, um, www.thesecretlifeoffat.com, I created a course because I think the book is really packed with a lot of great facts and stories. But for people who want to more like day by day, like have a program, how do you implement all of this? How do you put it into your daily you know, uh, schedule and regimen? The course is really good for that. It takes you through at a nice pace. So that's there online. You can you can download it there. Um, and the book's available at Amazon, right? Some Barnes and Nobles. And people can reach me at Sylvia Tara, PhD on Facebook or Twitter. And there's also an email on the website as well. So, uh, and I still, you know, write articles. I still publish here and there. And uh, so active and, and interested. Great. Well, guys, check out Dr. Tara. Check out her, her social media as well. She's active. Are you on Instagram, Facebook, any of those types of things? YouTube? On Facebook, for sure. At yes. I don't know. The Instagram thing includes me. It's a different generation. <laughs> check her out on Facebook. And, uh, you know, and, and we'll just keep up with your work. And definitely have your team reach out to me every year. Love to, to pick your brain about new things that you're learning when it comes to the science of fat. It's been a great interview. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for your time. And guys, we'll see you on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.